So if you have your, if you have your Bibles, now would be a great time to take those out or point your devices to our church Wi-Fi. And I want, to, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Now, on the church liturgical calendar, today is Pentecost Sunday. And it's the day that we... Uh, take time and acknowledge and remember um, God blessing the world by sending his Holy Spirit. And we've been traveling through the book of Acts for, well, all year, basically. And, And so this particular message isn't themed around Pentecost, but we know that the Holy Spirit is with us always and helps transform our lives, and that's a message that I would like to share this morning. Uh, on Graduation Sunday, it's always, um, it, it's always an opportunity to share just a little bit of wisdom, uh, and I was thinking through this kind of in terms of those who are graduating, stepping out, those who are pursuing education, but, but as I was preparing the message this week, I also realized it's, it's really good stuff for me to pay attention to as well. And so I think that in the message that we have today, while it might be first directed at our graduates, uh, we all get to listen in to what the Lord might have for us today. So Romans chapter 12 is the first two verses that I want to focus on. Paul says, Therefore... He spent the first 11 chapters of Romans developing a case to get to this moment. So he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, yeah. You know, I, I really like these uh, short passages that kind of provide a summary of what the Christian life involves, entails, requires. Uh, I kind of like the simplicity that it's in, it's pretty much put into one sentence. I can understand one sentence oftentimes. Um, whereas when you, when you have all of it thrown at you at once, sometimes it's really hard to find a filing system and a way to process all of it and remember all of it. And so when I get to these passages in Scripture that kind of just lay it out in one sentence, what does God require? What is God's will? How will I know it? I like to spend a few minutes just sinking into that. Now, the sentence, these two verses, they're not, they're pretty simple. They're not hard to understand But just because they're simple and and easy to understand doesn't mean that they're uh, easy to put into practice. 
there requires a lot of things that are maybe more complex, uh, rough edges that need to get worn off, sanded down in our lives so that we can find ourselves falling in line with what the Word of God would say. So this is what you do, Paul says, with God's help, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit. You take your life, you take all of your life, every, every facet of your being, your work, your school, times when you're at rest, times when you're energetic and out at play, uh, when you're eating, when you're sleeping, when you're coming, when you're going, every single par portion of your life, your ordinary life, you take all of that and you place it before God as an offering. That's what Paul says is true worship. He doesn't he doesn't preach that we should live in different silos. You know, I have my times when I'm religious, my times when I'm more spiritual, Sunday morning, devotional time throughout the week. He doesn't put that in a silo and then have another silo over here like, oh, okay, I can pretty much do whatever I want when I'm out with my buddies. He says, take all of your life, every facet, every dimension, every activity, every thought, it's all one. There's no difference between sacred and secular when you view your life. In Paul's view, it's all one. And all of it we should place on the altar of offering before the Lord. If you noticed, Paul uses two words that are, they're old words. They're words that come out of the, the old sacrificial system. Life and offering. It's your life that, God's, that God wants, Paul tells us. And when Paul says your life, your, your whole self, remember, feelings, actions, all of it, he says God wants you to give him all of it. Turn it all over. Give your life as the offering. And he says this, that's what's pleasing to God when we do that. See, through Jesus, we are forgiven and made whole. Through Jesus, he is the one who paid the sacrifice. He, he paid the penalty for our sin and so through Jesus, we are restored and made right with God. What Paul is saying is, you know, when you consider the words life and offering and what Jesus has done for us, all of God's mercy is how he talks about it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He's saying that in the old sacrificial system, he's saying, you know what? Sheep and goats and cows and chickens aren't going to cut it anymore. Those aren't going to make you right before God. All of that work was done in the person of Jesus, and now on the other side, we are the offering. We give ourselves, in light of all that God has done for us, we give ourselves back to him. But there's a challenge. I don't know if you noticed it in here. There's a, there's a challenge to being a living sacrifice. See, the problem with a living sacrifice is that living things uh, wiggle. Uh, 
and move around and have an opinion and will and different desires. Living things don't typically want to be sacrificed, and so living sacrifices often crawl down off the altar. I like thinking of living sacrifices in terms of, um, well, how many of you are cat people? Have you ever tried to give your cat a bath? If you put the cat in the water, the cat wants nothing to do with the water, and it will, it will fight tooth and claw for your life and its life, <laughs> and it does not want to submit to the bath. See, the problem with a living sacrifice, our lives placed before God, is when, it, when the going gets tough, when our faith is put to the test, when somebody tries our patience, you know, all sorts of things that we run into in life where we know how the Bible would counsel our behavior, sometimes we just don't want to. You know, I want to give you a piece of my mind. And pretty soon, the anger gets the best of us, and we crawl down off the altar, and we let somebody have it. See, living sacrifices don't always want to be that sacrificial offering. We like to follow our own path, our own agenda. We want to have control. We don't like the idea of giving up those sorts of things. Um, we, all, we have all sorts of hopes and dreams for our lives, when, and when God asks us to surrender all of those things to him, sometimes we just, hmm, I don't know. We're going to wiggle and scratch and claw our way off. But Paul says, offer yourself, your whole self, to God. And that's a very intentional step. You're not just going to end up on the altar as an offering to God. You're going to have to take steps to get up there. You, you have to intentionally give your life to God. So give your whole self to God. It's an act of worship, says Paul. And as we participate in doing that, when we take those intentional steps, it allows the Holy Spirit to do that transforming work inside us. See, because you're going to be shaped by something in life. You're either going to be shaped by the world or you're going to be shaped by God. We're either going to be conformed to what the world says is right, or we're going to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we get to verse 2, and he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what, what, is, the pattern, what is the pattern of this world? That's a legitimate question. Let me, offer you, let me offer you this. Um, I want to set another, I want to set another passage of Scripture right alongside what Paul is saying here. So if you, if you flip a little bit further in your New Testament, uh, all the way back, there's, um, you go through all of Paul's letters, and you're going to come to some letters that John wrote. And I want you to find 1 John chapter 2. 
and we're going to look at verses 15, 16, and 17. And it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, the longing of, the longing of every human heart is to love, to be loved. Because God implants his image in us. He is, he is one that we uh, say God is love. And so if, if we are made in God's image, then we are beings that are created to be in this sort of relationship, to love and, and be loved. So if we're wired to love, there's something that we're going to have to decide about where we place our affections, what we, what we place our affections and desires in. And Paul, remember, has told us he, he has, he's put up, um, he's put two things in tension, uh, the world and God. And you're going to be conformed to one or transformed by the other. And John tells us that the world, in, in, in these three verses, there's, there's three promises that the world makes that John addresses that, that I think are appropriate to bring up. Um, John gives us three things that the world promises, but it's totally powerless to deliver on. So the first thing is, the world can't give you what you need. The second is, you, the world can't give you what it promises. And the third thing is, the world can't give you anything that will last. So first, it can't give you what you need. In verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Now, as you go out in life, graduates and the rest of us, you probably have noticed that there's not a shortage of opinion on how you can live a healthy and successful life. Is that, is that a true statement? You go out into the world, there's plenty of opinion, there's plenty of people, media, movies, entertainment, whatever it is, there's plenty of um, counsel out there to tell you what it means to live a healthy and successful life. Your friends will tell you. Your teachers will tell you. Your bosses will tell you. Your family will give you all sorts of things. See, people, the people who love you, they probably also have a really good plan for your life. And they'll tell you about it. The world is going to get this big megaphone out and it's going to preach in your ear the way to become healthy and wealthy and successful according to the world. And as you step out and experience more freedoms on your own, that megaphone is, is going to be very overpowering. And you need to know that. And you need to have this in your mind so that you can choose wisely. Who you are going to allow to mold and shape you. 
John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. What he's not saying, he's not saying that you shouldn't appreciate some of the things that are out there in the world. There's some very beautiful things, wonderful things that are out in the world. What John is saying is that you ought to be careful that the love for those things does not supplant your love for God. You can enjoy some things that are out in the world, careers, art, music, all sorts of wonderful things that are out there, but when, when those find their place in your life over and above God, that's called idolatry, and we set up idols for ourselves, and John is warning us, hey, be careful. Do not love those sorts of things in ways that place those things over and above your relationship with God. Choose your allegiances wisely. Choose the things that you will allow to uh, shape you. Put great care into those decisions. Guard your mind is what he is getting at. See, part of life, part of life is about making an endless, an endless number of choices. Uh, research, I don't know how they figure this out, but on, on a daily basis, each of us makes about 35,000 different choices, conscious or subconscious, things that we decide, things that we choose, 35,000 a day. Life is full of an endless number of choices. My, my kids, um, when, when we get to a point in life and they look back over the balance of our lives and they make their, you know, dad used to say list, one of the things that will be on that list, I'm pretty sure, is we have this thing in our house that, uh, you know, when Brian is trying to take my cup of coffee, I will ask him something like, is that a good idea or a bad idea? <laughs> and for a moment, he might say, well, that's a good idea. And he'll quickly change his mind, no, that's, that's a bad idea. But it's a good framework. It's a good question. You can say it in fun sometimes, but sometimes it's a deadly serious question. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? What category would we put that in? What Does it seem like a good idea now, but maybe as it plays out, it turns into something that's harmful or dangerous or puts you at risk? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Choose wisely, my friends. When I talk about choosing wisely, uh, I always go back to the book of Joshua. And we had a memorial service for Verlin Bullock a, f- a couple weeks ago. And the Lord just directed me to that verse for his service. Because sometimes, sometimes you can see in other people what choices they have made. And there are a a long list of people who have left a beautiful, lasting legacy. Other people that you look at, you you can tell, you know, they need some help making better choices. But when when Joshua was, was reaching the end of his life, he gathered... He gathered Israel together, the leaders, bunches of people, and they, they gathered at Shechem, and they had this covenant renewal time. And Joshua 
walked them through the narrative of how they had been slaves in Egypt and how God had rescued them and how God had been with them all the way through all of those years when they were wandering around in the wilderness as a punishment for their disobedience to God, where God began to mold them and shape them and give them the law which taught them how to live at peace amongst one another. He brought them all the way through that and he brought them into the land that he had promised them. And so Joshua, and he, he's, he's got all of the leadership of, of Israel. All 12 tribes have gathered. And he's sharing some wisdom with them. But he puts a choice in front of them. In Joshua 24, uh, verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors and serve the Lord. Throw away the gods of your ancestors and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, did you hear that? He put the choice right out there in front of him. This is the people of God, the people of Israel. They've moved into a new neighborhood and there's all sorts of exotic things going on in their neighbor's house, in their neighbor's land. And you know what? They're kind of alluring. They have big megaphones on them. Hey, come check this out. This is awesome. Idol, idols, different practices of worship caring about different things. You know, if you look around our society, there's all sorts of things you can invest your time and attention in that aren't going to lead you towards God. And so Joshua notices this. He says, hey, there's all sorts of things that are going to pull your attention, and I'm going to lay it out there. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, in other words, if all of these other things seem that much better than God, you need to make a choice. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He says, there's there's a smorgasbord of options, folks. You leave here today and you'll enter into a world that has a smorgasbord of options. You graduate high school, you graduate college, and you enter, if you're going from high school into college or if you're going into the workforce or you're graduating and you're starting into a career, you will have a smorgasbord of endless numbers of options available at your disposal. And they'll be really easy choices to make. And Joshua laid it out for the people of Israel. It's there. You can eat from that buffet if you want. But as for me and my household, we are making the choice to serve God and do the things that God requires of us. So the choice is out there before us. You need to choose today who you will serve. People will tell you all sorts of nice things about your life and what you 
should do. Maybe it's bowing down at the throne of the almighty dollar and pursuing that. Maybe it's pursuing, you know, sexual, sexuality choices and practices or vanity and selfish pride and, and everything that goes along with like that. Or maybe it's things that just get caught up in addictive sorts of behaviors. You have all of those as options. And the Bible repeatedly puts the choice before us. Choose today who you will serve. It's kind of time sensitive, isn't it? <laughs> Choose today. It doesn't give you an option of, hey, well, you know, why don't you think about it for a few weeks? Joshua makes it a whole lot more urgent than that. I appreciate that about, about him because sometimes in today's climate, we're like, yeah, just let me keep my options open for a while and, and that's, that's good. No, it's not. Choose, choose today who you will serve. So as you go out, you've already made that choice and it's so much easier to follow through on when you have made a distinctive decision to move in a direction. Well, John urges us to make the choice, God or the world, truth or lies, light or darkness. Um, and he puts it out, he, you know, John, uh, he puts it out there. He says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Just point blank puts it out there. There's a consequence. So the world can't give you what you really need. It'll try, but it'll fail. The second thing is the world can't give you what it promises. Verse 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So uh, flesh, eyes, and life. Those are the pride, pride of life. Those are the three things that I kind of key in on there. And, and uh, so the lusts of the flesh are, you know, there's the desires of our sinful nature that we have. And, and we're, we're tempted to succumb to the desires of, of our sinful nature in ways that are contrary to the will and to the teaching of God. Our physical appetites for food and stuff and pleasure and gluttony and all sorts of other things, all of those things taken to the extreme will, will lead us towards an immoral life lived away from God. And I was thinking, when I was reading this, I, I was thinking back to the, the episode in Genesis that's laid out with Adam and Eve. And God had put him in this beautiful garden perfection and yeah just i just imagine this lush place green and little maybe streams and rivers flowing through and you got the animals hopping around it just life just seems perfect in the garden right when god gave him one one rule stay away from this over here it's not it's not good for you I need to draw a circle around this, put up a little fence. You know, just stay away from that. Trust me on this. And the devil comes in, tempts Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 6, I went back to that verse and, and I found the same three things that John is talking about in the in John 2, 15, 16, and 17. 
specifically verse 16. Genesis 3, 6 reads, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, appetite, eyes see that this food is appealing, and you begin to desire the fruit of that tree. That's a very, that's a very fleshy kind of desire. Lust of the flesh. I, ooh, that looks so good. I, I, I want to partake in that. But then it moves on. It talks about the lust of the eyes, and, the, and our eyes are like the windows to our souls. And there's, you know, when you see things, there's some things that you see that you just can't unsee anymore. So be careful what you are looking at. Or, or when it comes across the, the lenses of, of our eyes, it goes straight into our minds and our thoughts, and, and it's so easy to have a, to be distracted and turn to the things of the world simply because we've let things cross our retinas. Genesis 3.6 continues. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, it was visually appealing, she was drawn in. There's the lust of the flesh. There's that fruit. Oh, I... I, I want that thing. I crave it. And Genesis says she saw it with her eyes. And now it's deep into the recesses of her minds and her thoughts. And she can't get this thing she desires out of her mind. And then it's a, there's, John talks about the pride of life. We're proud creatures, aren't we? I mean, we seek things that are the best things for us. That's, that's how we operate at our, at our, at our core. That's our, our default. We, we seek what would, would be best for us, and we end up glorifying ourselves and, and our desires, and, and sometimes that gets in the way of, of glorying, glorifying and, and honoring God and putting our lives up on the altar for him because you know, we want to crawl off the altar Genesis 3, 6, it continues, and it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was able, was to be desired to make one wise. It has something that's going to boost my character. The, you know, the devil just whispered in their ears, Hey, did God really say? that that was bad. Do you think, do you think that he is holding out on you? Do you think there's things that God is holding back from you that, you know, if, if you were to participate in this, you're gonna be like God himself. Don't you wanna be like God himself? Did he really say that you couldn't have that? That is such a good thing. The devil does, he's a master fooling us into thinking that what God said is wrong or harmful to us. And so now she sees this, you know, this, the thing that she craves that's passed through her eye, you know, her retinas into her mind, and, and now she has this information that, hey, this is going to boost your character. It's a, it's, a, it's a pride thing here. And the Scripture always teaches us, humble yourself. And in time, God will be the one who lifts you up.
You know, where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeded. If you remember back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, when Jesus was beginning, just beginning to start his ministry, the, the devil took him out into the wilderness to be tempted. You know what he was tempted on? <laughs> uh, flesh, eyes, and pride. If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. You're, you're hungry. I know you're hungry. You, you can do this. You, you can turn that stone into bread. Aren't you hungry, Jesus? Don't you want to satisfy the craving of your stomach right now? Hey, if you're, if you're the Son of God, just do it. The devil showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. The devil promised him all of the kingdoms of the world. Hey, look with your own eyes all of this magnificence across the face of the earth. I will give them to you. If you bow down and worship me, I will give you control over all of these things. Eyes. And finally, Jesus Jesus won on the first one. He won on the second one. No, I can't do that. I won't do that. We get to the third one. The devil tempted him to throw himself down off the pinnacle of the temple. And if, if you're the son of God and if you were to jump, all of the angels would come and rescue you. Display your power. It's okay. You can be prideful about that. You're, if you're God then prove it. Flesh, eyes, pride of life. We saw it in the garden. We saw it when Jesus was tempted. And John is warning us, this is what the world is trying to sell you. This is what the world is trying to get you to succumb to. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There's plenty of things out there that are pressing you to cave on all three of those things. Choose today. The world can't give you what it promises. The world promises life, but it will only give you things that ultimately lead you to death. And that's what leads to the third thing. And the world can't give you what will last. You choose life or you choose death. The things of this world, we're told, they're already, they're already doomed. They're going to fade away. They're going to pass away. In fact, John says it's already passed. The world is already passing away. And satisfaction that we would find in the world is only going to be momentary and fleeting. Anything that the world has to offer is already in darkness. And he says, pay attention. You've got to choose today because the world can't give you anything that will last. The only thing that will last is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And giving your life to God, taking the in intentional steps of putting your life up on the altar before the Lord and giving your life over to him as a living sacrifice. That's what is true that's what is right, and that's what is lasting. And Paul says that is your true act of worship before God the Father. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Would you